Hello, Ryerson. Welcome back for another episode. You're listening to The Blue and Gold. From the Ryersonian, I'm your host, Dania Ali. As part of our special project at the Ryersonian this semester, our team released a series of articles centered on the discourse of the Egerton Ryerson statue. The project, Monumental Challenges, launched two weeks ago. While we always plan to include Indigenous voices in the series, there has been valid criticism that those articles first published did not include those voices. After conversations in the newsroom about a lack of inclusive reporting, our team decided to go back to the drawing board and rework this podcast episode. Egerton Ryerson was an individual with a racist and colonial legacy who actively took part in the genocide of Indigenous peoples. This episode will explore that legacy and how Ryerson community members have responded to it. It's been a long-running dispute on whether the university should abolish any remnants of colonialism that can be seen on campus today. From the statue of Egerton Ryerson standing in the middle of campus to the university name itself, an act of reformation is being called for by Indigenous peoples as well as other members of the university community. First up today, Jasmine is going to talk about who Egerton Ryerson was and why the statue of a man with a colonial legacy was placed and continues to stand on campus grounds. Next, Sidra speaks about what went down earlier in the summer when the statue was painted on by Black Lives Matter Toronto protesters. Later, I'm going to explore student voices on the matter and speak with Maz Khan, who created a petition to remove the statue from Ryerson's campus. We touch base with our features editor at the Ryersonian, Emily Piero, about an article she's written on the cost of not changing the university's name. We also speak with Nicole Anisinash, an Anishinaabe health educator and researcher about the activism that she was involved in a few years ago with the removal of the statue. Lastly, Alex is going to speak about the response that the university has had to the activism. But first, Jasmine breaks down who Egerton Ryerson was. Egerton Ryerson was a Canadian educator and a Methodist church leader in the 1800s, and he spent years traveling Europe to develop the school system for what is now the province of Ontario. A system for universal and free education that would be the model used across Canada. Ryerson founded the Toronto Normal School, a teacher's training college, right where the Ryerson University campus stands today. And in 1889, his statue was erected to celebrate his memory and achievements. This is what most people know about Ryerson University's namesake, but it's not the whole story. Ryerson opposed any secondary education for women. He believed they were only meant to be mothers and wives. He insisted on the separate education and institutionalization of the mentally disabled. And he had a heavy hand in the creation of Canada's residential school system, where an estimated 150,000 children were stripped of their indigenous culture and forced into labor according to a report done by the Aboriginal Education Council. These schools were disguised as a benevolent favor to Indigenous people by taking in their children and teaching them wholesome Catholic values and lifelong skills, when in reality, they were the sites of slavery and of cultural genocide. Many children in residential schools never learned to read. They were instead indoctrinated to Christianity and forced to do labor for long hours. An estimated 6,000 children died in residential schools, and many more were abused, malnourished, and sick. Just under half of living survivors of residential schools have filed claims for sexual or extreme physical abuse while they were there. In 2017, Ryerson University erected a plaque beside the statue of Egerton Ryerson as a response to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada, 
The plaque acknowledges Ryerson's role in the creation of the residential school system, but many people are saying it still isn't enough. Amongst the series of articles that were published a few weeks ago was one that focused on the cost of renaming the university's name. This op-ed received criticism from other students in the Ryerson community for its lack of Indigenous voices in its reporting. In response, Emily Pietro, our features editor at the Ryersonian, is writing an article about the cost of not renaming the school. Today we speak to her about the effects that going to university named after a colonizer can have on Indigenous or minority students. She speaks about what steps the Ryerson community thinks the university should be taking in creating a safer and trauma-informed space for its Indigenous students and faculty. Hi, Emily. Thanks for joining me today. Can you speak a little bit about the story that you're working on right now? Yeah, so I'm working on a story that is sort of a response to the piece, What's in a Name Change? So that story was about the monetary cost or the cost-benefit analysis of changing Ryerson's name. And the general like theme of that story was that Changing the name is too expensive for Ryerson, will cause like havoc on campus and whatnot. Um, and I wanted to kind of look at it more of a view of like, what's the cost of not changing the name? What's the cost of staying the same? And instead of looking at cost as purely monetary, I'm looking at it more as like the emotional cost that this, this, the name Ryerson and the statue takes on Indigenous students. So um, I've spoken to a few students about their opinion, a few Indigenous students about on their opinion of changing the name, taking down the statue, what it feels like to go to a university that's named after a colonizer. And I'm doing some research on like Indigenous trauma and looking at um, PTSD specifically in Indigenous communities and kind of trying to draw some research from that. With the conversation about taking down the statue comes a conversation or the larger conversation of changing the university's name. So in your reporting so far, what is the consensus that you've sort of seen or what are the perspectives um, that you've seen so far? From most of the people that I've spoken to, it's it's kind of been just take the statue down, just change the name. Um, I have also had a few conversations with people saying that reconciliation from the university goes much further than changing the name, which is something that I um, agree with and that kind of resonates with me is that, well, changing the name is a, a very important step in seeing the damage that, you know, Ryerson has caused. I think that a lot of the consensus is that it's performative in some ways. If Ryerson doesn't extend more resources to the Indigenous community, um, you know, I know they've been hiring more faculty, but again, like we've talked about how hiring more Indigenous faculty or hiring more BIPOC faculty doesn't necessarily make your workplace any better because if you don't look at the policies and the practices behind your workplace you end up harming staff a lot more um there's also a lot more behind it in terms of 
doing like taking actual action items to make Ryerson kind of a more inclusive space. Thank you for joining me today, Emily, and elaborating on the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Next, Sidra is going to talk about what went down with the Ryerson statue in the past few months. In July 2020, three Black Lives Matter Toronto protesters painted the Egerton Ryerson statue pink and displayed a sign that read, Tear Down Monuments That Represent Slavery, Colonialism, and Violence. The act was a follow-up to George Floyd's murder by a police officer in May which caused outrage throughout the world and a call to action to abolish the police. The statue of John A. Macdonald and King Edward VII at Queen's Park were also defaced in an act of protest. All of the historical figures defaced had ties to the oppression of Black and Indigenous communities and people of colour in Canada. Following the arrests of the three protesters behind tagging the statues, hundreds of protesters gathered outside of the 52nd Division police station demanding their release. Three months after the incident, there is still debate with whether the statue should be removed or not, with the most recent defacement of the statue still evident. In August, the statue was painted orange at the base, in recognition of the indigenous peoples who suffered because of Egerton Ryerson's work with the residential school system. His hands were also symbolically painted red. The base of the statue has statements condemning settler colonialism and residential schools. In 2016, the Black Liberation Collective and Indigenous Students Rising wrote letters to Ryerson School of Social Work and to Mohamed Lashemi about creating a more inclusive space for Indigenous students, Black students, and marginalized students on campus. An individual who took part in that activism a few years ago was Nicole Anisinash. She is Anishinaabe from Treaty 9 Territory in Northern Ontario with French and Irish heritage. She is an Indigenous Research Associate at Ryerson's Child and Youth Care and Early Childhood Studies programs, and is a PhD candidate researching social justice education and Indigenous health. Annie Sinash is also the director of Finding Our Power Together, which is a collaborative partnership between young people in remote First Nations communities and Indigenous and non-Indigenous allies in Southern Ontario. Their main goal is to help Indigenous youth thrive and provide mental health resources. Today, Nicole speaks to us about her experience as a former student and member of Indigenous Students Rising. She also talks about what steps a university should be taking in creating a more inclusive space for marginalized students. Could you maybe describe the research that you're working on right now and how that's relevant to the, the conversation about the Egerton Ryerson statue or any other student activism that's been happening? Uh, currently, I'm working on research that I don't know if I'd call it research, but I'm working really closely to support Indigenous youth in Northern and remote First Nations across Canada, particularly around issues of mental illness, um, psychoeducation, and suicide prevention. And I think in relation to the Ryerson statue, it's interesting to see how this discourse has evolved over the last few years. I remember when I was a student at Ryerson in my 
master's degree, I was part of some of that advocacy work. So I was a member of the student group called the Indigenous Student Rising. Um, and alongside the Black Life Collective, we did a, a bunch of advocacy uh, probably about five years ago now around um, the anti-Indigenous and anti-Black racism that was happening on campus. And we're advocating for the removal of that statue. And I think um, why, why there is a call to remove that statue is really around um, safety, around people feeling that they are welcomed into spaces that have historically not been welcoming to Indigenous people or Black people or um, differently abled people. So, I mean, that statue is really upholding a colonial history that does not necessarily, I mean, I would hope does not necessarily reflect the values that Ryerson holds today. Um, as an institution, you know, there has been a lot of progression towards anti-oppressive practice, um, indigenizing curriculum, and being really community-driven in the way that we engage with um, students and communities. So I think for a lot of folks, particularly Indigenous young people, there are so many barriers already to accessing post-secondary education that for them to then experience, you know, firsthand racism and oppression in the classroom really creates even further barriers. Um, so, you know, having to walk past the statue every day that's really upholding an individual who was instrumental to the residential school system, who really fought for, you know, this very normative theory of development and education that really excluded a lot of different types of people. Um, it really sends the, the, sends the message that Indigenous people are not welcome. Indigenous people are not valued. And in order to succeed at Ryerson, you need to change fundamentally who you are in order to succeed. So I think that discourse around removing the statue um, really is about evolving, <laughs> evolving the institution to, to really reflect the values that it claims it holds. If we're going to claim to be a very equity-driven institution, we need to kind of put our actions to our words and create spaces that are fundamentally welcoming to those people who have been on the sidelines for so long. I saw on Twitter that you had expressed your views on the task force that um, Mohammed Lashami, President Mohammed Lashami had put together. What are your thoughts on that in particular or other efforts that have been done by the university to try and respond to the student activism that's been happening and wanting to remove the statue from campus grounds? Well, I think it's just interesting. It's interesting how these discourses come up over and over again. And when there is enough push, when there is enough of a discourse around issues of racism or oppression, then there is action. Where the same experiences that were talked about many years ago are still happening. So the need for a task force, this was already done. And so there is this kind of work around presenting a narrative that we are being progressive, that we are being, we're being proactive, you know, that we're an institution that is taking this seriously. When maybe you weren't taking it seriously, when the political climate was different. And so 
I think it's great. I think it's great to have a task force. I think it's great to have movement. I, I think it's really great to be bringing awareness to it. I just think this is something that was already happening five years ago when I was a student that I was part of. And so now the narrative is that that never happened, that that advocacy work, that emotional labor that went into all of those discussions many years ago, then are not acknowledged. That work is not acknowledged. And we then have a discourse that an institution is being very progressive because they're taking an active approach when potentially that wasn't the approach that was being taken before. So it's just interesting when the political time that we're in, there is movement, there's a lot of people taking this seriously. And I think that's really, really great. I just think we should have been taking it seriously all along. What else besides removing the, the statue from campus grounds or renaming the institution's name, what else do you think can be done or should be done in creating a more inclusive space for minority and Indigenous students? I think there needs to be an ongoing discourse and an ongoing acknowledgement of the ways Ryerson as an institution is implicated in the marginalization of many folks. Um, you know, we're just starting to have a conversation about um, Indigenous territory, Indigenous heredity, the relationship Ryerson might have as an institution on Indigenous lands. But I'm not sure that that actually gets embedded into the classroom. We might do a land acknowledgement in a superficial way at the beginning of a class, but how are we actually actively trying to decolonize our relations to land, our relations to Indigenous people? How are we actively trying to decolonize the ways we think about Black bodies, diverse bodies, minority bodies? You know, if we're thinking about oppression, we, we end up just taking these little chunks off without acknowledging the greater picture. And the greater picture is that Egerton Ryerson was a part of the development of the colonial state of Canada. And with that, there's an opportunity to really focus our attention there, to really focus on how we can acknowledge that colonial history and begin to potentially act in ways that differ. So renaming the university is one thing, but since it's called Ryerson now, it should be part of our practice to really think critically about Ryerson and what he might have stood for and how might we act in different ways so that we are creating you know, a community of people who are really thinking critically and who are creating spaces where everyone is able to thrive and be welcomed. Thank you, Nicole, for joining me today and elaborating on all of those details. Ah, miigwech. Thanks for having me. Here's why several student groups want the statue to be removed from campus grounds. Student groups such as CESAR, the Ryerson School of Performance Student Union, Canadian Federation of Students Ontario, and more have expressed a solidarity with the Black Lives Matter protesters and have said they would like the statue to be removed. In June 2017, the RSU made 11 demands to the university concerning Indigenous justice on Canada Day. One of these demands called for the removal of the statue. In September of this year, Caesar sent an open letter to President Lachemy also calling for removal, which now has hundreds of signatures. Another voice that has been a part of the conversation is that of Maz Khan, 
He is a recent alumnus of the Business Technology Management Program and started a petition in June calling for the statue to be removed, which now has over 9,000 signatures. Today, we're joined by recent grad Maz Khan to talk about why he started this petition. Hi, Maz. Thanks for joining me today. How did you first think about starting this petition? Uh, well, I remember about three years ago, there was another, there was an early petition to get the statue removed. And I think I, I was also part of it as in like supporting it. And then nothing came out of it. Mostly it was just a plaque that came out of it. And I know a lot of people that were disappointed. I had a few friends that were also disappointed in that. So then after graduating, I thought uh, maybe now is a good time to start it as a, start a petition as an alumni. Maybe they'll, you know, they'll have more support. So I, I decided to start the petition talk with a few friends and then we all just gave it a go and uh, just started it and emailed it to the uh, president. And did you expect the petition to receive as many signatures as it actually did? To be honest, no. I, and initially I thought it would take a little while to get to the level, but uh, I was actually very surprised by how fast it uh, actually grew. And I'm really happy that it did. And now that it has over 10,000 signatures, what do you see happening next as the next few steps? I feel like the Ryerson uh, president's office and uh, the president himself will definitely take, it, take a closer look at it and see what they can do about it because now they, they see that there's a huge amount of people pushing for the statue removal or, or having something, some sort, something similar for the statue. So I feel definitely they'll take it more seriously and put more thought into it. And have you received any feedback from any of your Indigenous peers who also used to go at Ryerson as students or anyone else at Ryerson who identifies as an Indigenous person? Well, yeah, I have a few. A lot of people were actually thanking me and supporting me in terms of uh, the statue removal. They were saying, like, finally someone took the initiative to remove it and a lot of support in terms of sharing and getting the word out and getting actively people signing. So definitely there's a lot of been positive support for this petition. Since the ta- statue was graffitied, uh, pre- President Mohammed Lashemi created a task force um, to look into the role of the statue and the current social context. So what are your thoughts on that? And do you see the university taking the next steps in removing the statue or replacing it or putting it in a different spot? Uh, I've been in contact with them regarding the task force. So they've given me a few details. They're, they're saying they're definitely like putting people together and then figuring out what to do as for the task force. So I feel like it's going to take a little while. They're saying it's going to take a little while to put it all together and announce the task force. So I feel I, I have a positive outlook on it. I feel like by the end of the task force, it will come down. And lastly, what do you hope to see as the best case scenario as a result of this petition? Well, definitely the removal of the statue and the acknowledgement that Egerton Ryerson was not the person as we believed to be. So definitely an acknowledgement of his historical like influence in the residential school and the removal of the statue. So I feel that would be a great win for the Indigenous community and everyone at Ryerson. Okay, thank you, Maz, for joining me today. Lastly, we hear from Alex about the latest update on what the university is doing about the statue. It's now been more than a month since Ryerson President Mohamed Lashemi announced a task force to examine the colonial legacy of the school's namesake, Egerton Ryerson. The task force's mission is to gather feedback about what the university can do to reconcile Egerton Ryerson's colonial history by consulting with deans, faculty, 
administrative leaders, students, external partners, and more. Around the world, statues, sports teams, buildings, and universities are having their names changed in response to a global social reckoning. Most of these processes have been lengthy. The McGill sports teams have spent a full year trying to find a new moniker. In July, the Washington Redskins changed their name to the placeholder Washington football team and told the media that rebranding could take up to 18 months. Princeton University decided to remove the name of former U.S. President Woodrow Wilson from campus buildings this summer after a board of trustees evaluated that he had perpetuated racist thinking. This name change came five years after an initial proposition. Although many institutions are just being questioned about being named after an individual with a racist and colonial legacy, the movement to rid of statues from campus grounds has been ongoing for several years. Michael Forbes, President Lashemi's chief and staff, said that a final report examining Egerton Ryerson's history can be expected from the task force by summer 2021. Here's what we're following this week. Angela Mystery, Ryerson School of Journalism lecturer and the Walrus Digital Director, is set to release the fourth book in her detective series, The Detective and the Spy. The series was inspired by characters like Sherlock Holmes and Nancy Drew, and although her last three mystery novels were catered for a younger audience, this one is aimed at adults. It follows the work of a detective, Portia Adams, and will be released on Saturday. In other news, Premier Doug Ford announced during a press conference on Tuesday that Ontario will invest $550 million to build new schools and renovate existing ones. He said that the construction and renovations will create up to 16,000 new spaces for students, teachers and staff, and the plan will also include 870 new childcare spots. Lastly, Ryerson's Office of Sexual Violence Support and Education will be launching a virtual gallery exhibit this month called How I Dress is Never a Yes. The purpose of the event is to question ideas of victim blaming. The gallery will exhibit photographs of clothing submitted by student survivors of assault, sexual violence, harassment, and other forms of intimidation. More information on how to register can be found on Ryerson's Consent Comes First website. That's all for this week's Blue and Gold. Thanks a lot for listening. Catch up with us next week for more of your community's top stories. Blue and Gold is a production of the Ryersonian and Ryerson School of Journalism. I'm your host, Danya Ali, and our executive producers are Jasmine Ratch, Sidra Jaffrey, and Alex Sear. Our reporter for this week was Nabiha Beg. Our editor-in-chief is Patrick Swadden, and our managing editor is Michelle Allen. Our instructors are Peter Bekajorich and H.G. Watson. Until next time. <laughs>